Good morning, everyone. Very nice to see you all. Good to be with you and to share in the Word of God this morning. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles with you, or if you've got them on your phone, if you'd like to open up to them, otherwise just sit and listen as I read Joshua chapter 3, the first 17 verses, and uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the ark of the covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were standing, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Wonderful word. And wonderful story, and we pray that God will speak to each of our hearts. Let's pray. 
Father, as we bow in your presence now, we ask that you would come amongst us and reveal to us the truth that is contained in your word, the truth that is your word. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this story, and we pray that we might find the truth that applies to the situations we face at this time in our lives. We thank you, Father, that your word never returns to you empty, but always accomplishes what you desire for it. And we can't even begin to imagine what you want to achieve and accomplish in our lives today. But Lord, we want to say we are open to hear from you and to receive your truth and help us to receive it with joy and help us, Heavenly Father, to put it into action in our lives so that we might be able to move forward in obedience to your leading. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The film director Woody Allen said this, more than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroad. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness, the other to total extinction. Let us pray that we have the wisdom to choose correctly. Now that's a deeply cynical statement. It's a deeply cynical view of life. But there may be many people in our world today who having passed through the COVID pandemic feel exactly that way. They're caught between despair and utter hopelessness. There may be people today facing the financial crisis that the whole world is going through who feel exactly that way. People facing the loss of their homes because they can't afford uh, to pay their mortgages. People struggling to feed their families. People having difficulty heating their homes and paying their bills. And they can't see any other option at the crossroad that offers a better alternative. Despair and hopelessness seems to be on every side. You only have to switch on your televisions to, to, to get the flavor of that, the feeling of that despair and hopelessness that pervades our country, our society, and our world at this time. And perhaps even some of God's people, some Christians, have plunged into a depression, feeling that life as we've known it will never be the same again, that the church as we've known it will never be the same again. But at the root of this kind of attitude is a failure to grasp the fact that God is sovereign over all of life and nothing catches God by surprise. God has not been rendered powerless by these crises that afflict our lives. He is at work within all the circumstances we face, at work to bring something out of these difficult things that will become beautiful and will bless 
our lives. As the book of Joshua opens, Israel stood at a crossroads in their life and experience. Forty years of aimless wandering through the wilderness, all because of their spiritual disobedience and lack of faith. And who is to say that the crises we face in our nation, in our world today, is not due in part to our disobedience and our lack of faith in the living God. As they stood at the River Jordan for the second time in 40 years, it seemed as if there was a signpost there and one sign pointed to despair and the other to hopelessness, but there was Another sign on the board that pointed to the way of faith and the way of obedience that leads to hope and to the fulfillment of the promises that God has given to us. And for this new day, God raises up a new leader, Joshua. After 40 years of spiritual standstill, the possibility of a new future of faith and fulfillment opens up to the people of God once again. After decades, yes, even centuries of spiritual decline and struggle for the church of God and all the problems that crowd into us because of the pandemic, because of the international crisis, the threats of war. At this time, it seems to me that God has a message for us all. And it's a message to move forward in faith. To believe that he is the almighty God. To believe that he can do far more than anything we can ask or imagine. To move forward and to stop treading water. To leave behind the place we thought was safe. Where all we did was travel in ever decreasing circles. And instead to move forward with faith and conviction to cross over onto new ground. And to start forward in our journey of faith with God once again. I think that's a message to us as individuals. I think it's a message to us as a church. And I think it's a message to the world. God brought the people through different circumstances to this moment, to this crossroads, and confronted them with a challenge. And he's brought us to this point in life today and if we move forward into this new day of opportunity and with renewed faith and obedience in the sovereign all-powerful God God promises to lead us on and to provide for our every need and to fulfill all his purposes in our lives for that moment, he had prepared a new leader, Joshua. For that moment, I believe God is preparing a new leader for this church. 
And we need to seek to discover the man whom God has already anointed to be the one who will lead his people forward onto new ground. Joshua 1-2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. I will give you every place where you will set your foot as I promised Moses. How immense are the promises that God gives to his people. How immense are the promises that God makes to you and to me. But we shouldn't underestimate how immense the challenge to move forward. Forty years before, they dug their heels in and they would not move forward to where God wanted them to be. But now, instead of a negative response, the people make a positive response. They are ready for this spiritual challenge, ready for this new day. They don't want things to revert to the way they were before. They had learned the lessons of the wilderness experience and they wanted to move forward into the unknown future with God. But in order to take that first step, Joshua says to them in 3.5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things among you. As we prepare to move forward with God into a future that will be very different from our past, God says to you and me, consecrate yourselves. Turn your spiritual life away from the things that lie in the past and, the, and embrace the faith that the, the God who is charting out a new exciting future wants to give you. So the first thing I want to stress as we come to this passage is that we need to take our spiritual position. Take your spiritual position. Joshua 3.1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Very important spiritual principle here. The Israelites had been at this place before. And here they were, 40 years later, back at the same place again. The challenges they faced had not changed. But the people had changed. And the challenges we face in our world haven't changed over generations. But the people have changed. You and I need to be a changed people in order to be able to move forward to the future that that God gives to us. So they're back at the place where it all went astray. They're back at the place where disobedience held its sway 40 years before. And they're back at the place where faith can be renewed where forgiveness can be received and where faith is restored and they can move forward. 
Same principles worked out in the New Testament. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Before we can move forward with God, we've got to deal with the issues that brought about failure in the first place. That's what the Israelites had to do, deal with the things that brought about their failure, their disobedience. And we have to do the same. When Jesus met Peter on the shores of Galilee after the resurrection, he took Peter back to the place where it all went wrong. Remember? The courtyard of the high priest, the three denials that Peter made, and Jesus asks him three times to affirm his love. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. If we sense that God is opening up new possibilities of his blessings to us as individual Christians, corporately as a church, then we need to repent and confess the sins that brought us to a spiritual standstill in our lives so that we can then move forward with God. Unless we repent and confess our sins, we will never be able to move forward with God. That applies to us as a nation. Unless we confess our sins and repent of our disobedience and going our own way, we will never be able to come back to follow in the footsteps of the living God. Winston Churchill said, success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's courage that counts. And it takes courage for us as individuals, courage for us as a church, and courage for us as a nation, to confront our failures, to repent of them, and to turn away from them, to renew our faith in the living God. Take your spiritual position. Secondly, make your spiritual consecration. Joshua 3.5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And as, as God speaks into our situation, and as he says to you and me, I'm, I want to do amazing things among you. We have to consecrate our hearts and our lives. Consecrate yourselves. 
The difference between sanctification and consecration is this. Sanctification is something we cannot do for ourselves. God does it for us. So 1 Corinthians 6.6, 6, Paul says, You were washed, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's God who does it. And Paul's prayer for the Christians in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So sanctification is something God does for us and in us. But consecration is something we do for ourselves. Consecration is opening up our hearts and our lives to the living God and saying, here I am. I'm wholly available. I want you to come and do your own good work within me. Consecration is making ourselves wholly available for God to do with us as he wills. And consecration involves, firstly, cleansing. When the Jews consecrated themselves, when the Israelites consecrated themselves, they washed themselves clean And they washed their clothes and they put on clean clothes to make sure that everything was clean and pure. And they abstained from sexual relations the way an athlete does today in order to be at the peak of fitness for the race or the match or the fight. They cleansed themselves, they purified themselves to make sure there was nothing at all in their lives to hinder God accomplishing his own good purpose. Now, if this is God's moment for renewal for us as individuals, for us as a church, for us as a nation, then we need that same kind of cleansing from all that hinders the work of his spirit amongst us. I heard the story of a pilot who was flying a small plane one day and he heard a noise and he recognized it it was the gnawing of a rat and wondering what the sharp teeth of the rat were cutting through he suddenly realized with horror it could be an electric wire that could plunge him down to his death so he immediately remembered rodents cannot survive at high altitude so he pulled back the stick and he sent the plane up up in the skies into the heavens And to the place where he had to put on oxygen for himself as well. Until he heard that gnawing no longer. And when he came back down and he landed on the ground, he discovered the rat dead. Why the story? Simply to say this. For us to be clean and pure in our lives, we need to live at a higher level than the level of the world. We need to go much, much higher until we're breathing the atmosphere of heaven itself 
so that we can begin to be able to be used by the God who is pure and holy. Cleansing, but also commitment as part of that spiritual consecration. Committed, as I said, without reserve to the living God. You probably heard this, this story, you may not have, but tell it anyway. The story of the chicken and the pig that went on a journey. And after many miles and many hours on the road, they were hungry and they spotted a restaurant. And as they came up to the door, they read a sign which said, Ham and eggs, our speciality. <laughs> Hold it, shouted the pig. What's the matter, asked the chicken. Plenty, said the pig. All they want from you is a little contribution. They're asking me for total commitment. <laughs> total commitment is precisely what God is looking for when we consecrate ourselves afresh to him. Jesus said in John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For Jesus, that meant becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Total commitment. Henry Martin, who went out to India as a missionary in the early 19th century, as he landed on the shores of India, said, here let me burn out for God. Total commitment. Cortez, when he landed with 700 men at Veracruz to begin his conquest of Mexico in 1519, set his 11 ships on fire and sank them in the Gulf of Mexico and was saying to his men, there's no retreat. We are wholly committed to this task. We've burnt our boats, in other words. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. So you're ready and willing to go forward with God. Burn your boats to the world and to all that holds you back from being the person God wants you to be. Take your spiritual position, make your spiritual consecration. Thirdly and finally, keep your spiritual perspective. Joshua 3.3, 3, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Well, the ark of the covenant was the oblong box, as you probably mostly all know, covered with gold and on the lid at either end, two cherubim. The ark was the throne of God, symbolic of God's presence amongst his people. So when Joshua told the people to fix their eyes on the ark, he was saying to them, keep your eyes fixed firmly on God. Don't let anything distract your attention. Everything had gone wrong 40 years before because they had taken their eyes off of God and they lost their spiritual perspective. 
Now, the same kind of things that caused them to take their eyes off of God and lose their spiritual perspective were still there and still had to be faced. There was the spirit of fear. The people magnified their problems and obstacles until they obscured their vision of God's power and greatness. You know the story of the spies and the report of the ten. Numbers 13, 28, the people who live there are very powerful. The cities are fortified, very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. The land we explored devours those living in it. The obstacles they built up to be so enormous and so intimidating, it filled them with fear. Well, nothing had changed over 40 years. So they still had to face their fears. And then there was the spirit of inferiority. Numbers 13.33, they had said 40 years before, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. They were intimidated they felt they were small and inferior. And that's what Satan tries to do with you and me. Make us feel that we are so small and so insignificant that we're actually inferior. How could God use us? But in the face of fear and inferiority, the Israelites had to keep their spiritual perspective, not lose sight of who God is and what God can do. The spirit of fear and inferiority holds us from coming back to the place of renewal. We're afraid to open ourselves up to others, perhaps because we're afraid of being hurt again. We're afraid that if we try to serve in that area of ministry, that we'll fail again. We're afraid that we really aren't the least bit important in God's sight. That spirit of inferiority caused Moses to run away and bury himself in the desert for 40 years. By way of contrast, David worked through it and he kept his spiritual perspective because he kept his eyes fixed on God. Psalm 56, verse 3. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I'll not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Keep your eyes fixed on God. Fix your eyes, says the writer to Hebrews, on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. A little girl asked her father, how big is God? His answer, God's always just a little bigger than you need. So whatever you're facing in life today, don't forget God's bigger than your needs. So here in Joshua 3, a time for spiritual renewal. They stood at a crossroads. They had an important decision to make. 
Tired of the past with its failures and fruitlessness, they took up their position at the place where it had all gone wrong before, and they prepared to put things right. Cleansing and commitment, they consecrated themselves to God for him to fulfill his purposes in and through them, and they kept their spiritual perspective by fixing their eyes on God rather than the obstacles. Faith renewed, their leaders went forward bearing the ark and stood in the water. And guess what? God acted. And the waters piled back. And the riverbed became dry. And two and a half million people walked across. As they walked across, one representative from each of the tribes was tasked to lift up a large stone from the riverbed and carry it over to the other side, to the new land where they had never been before. And there they set up a cairn At Gilgal, they set up the 12 stones they'd taken out of the Jordan, and Gilgal meant the reproach has been rolled away. All the failures of the past gone. Isn't that what we long for in our lives? Isn't that what we long for for our church? Isn't that what we long for for our nation? That the reproach of the failure of the years in the past be rolled away and that we might be able to move forward to claim new ground for God as we serve him. Well, the decision's in your hands and mine. Is it to be the same old, same old? Or is it time to let the past go and to move forward in faith, looking to Jesus and believing he is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Seal it into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And there let it bear fruit for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.